But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is his testimony before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one else has seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. May this word be preached to you. You may be seated. I'm, thank you for that introduction, Michael. We, I was uh, at Briarwood when Tom Sheely uh, brought Alton into uh, our presbytery and into planting a church here. But I want to tell you a little more in detail how, how I'm here this morning. Um, Alton and I were friends just from uh, the Presbytery where, where pastors gather together and we deal with the business of the church. And uh, so we had been friends. We kind of teased each other. I, wherever Alton was, I said, I'm, I'm in good company if he was there. He said, wherever I was, we were in good company. And <laughs> but in 2018, Alton came to speak at our Sunday school class as a part of the Home Missions Conference. And uh, it was October 2018. And as Alton was sharing about what was happening over here at Urban Hope, he really broke down. And as you know, your pastor, he can, he can break down fairly easy. But he, he broke down and just, it was a low point for Alton. He uh, just was discouraged. He couldn't kind of see where God was taking Urban Hope. He had been here about seven years. And, uh, and so, I, as the leader of our class, I called some elders up, as happened to me before I came up here this morning, and we prayed for Alton, laid hands and prayed for Alton, that God would encourage him. And uh, that was just beginning of a, just a greater friendship, a greater uh, joy of my relationship with Alton, because he felt the support of those that wanted to see this dream here at Urban Hope take place. Fast forward to August of 2020, uh, during the COVID, 
and uh, everybody's a, you know in disarray, different places. And I actually was at a place where I was really seeking the Lord. I was saying, God, what, what's the next step for me? What are some things that you want to show me? And I was reading, and I was praying, and I was trying to listen to God. And I get, I look at my phone, and it's Alton calling me. And Alton said, Phil, God has led me to call you. I feel like we need to partner together with Urban Hope Community. I said, Alton, I'm sitting here listening to the Lord, asking him, what does he want me to do? And you call. I'm listening. And so we, we began this friendship, and we just continued on this friendship. And so, uh, you know, I was praying with elders and men over in the gray building and praying in this warehouse. In fact, the last time my wife Ann was here, we were in this warehouse praying for this church. And, uh, and so, obviously, I have some connections and bringing people that I knew to help support urban community, to help support uh, NOAA and the fellows program here, and to, to get that uh, building squared away and that dream to come true and a grocery store to come to Fairfield. All this is a part of why I'm here today, because I am vested in this church, because I believe in what you're doing here, and I brought many friends that I want to come alongside me here to see God raise up a godly legacy here and then take it as Alton said to other communities, other inner city communities. So I felt like it's important for you to know why I'm here this morning. We were having lunch a few weeks ago, and he said, I'm going to be out of town this Sunday. Would you like to preach? And uh, I said, absolutely. Then I had to think about my Sunday school class and who was I going to get to take over that. So that's, that's why I'm here this morning. And we're going to talk about four things. We're going to talk about godliness with contentment. We're going to talk about the desire or the pursuit of riches. What is good about that, what is not. We're going to talk about how to pursue uh, godliness, how to pursue uh, righteousness and faith. And then we're going to talk about instructions for the rich man. And honestly, um, all of us are rich when you think about how God has blessed us in different ways. So let's look at the first thing, godliness and contentment, which we find in verses 6 through 8. And uh, a dictionary definition of contentment is you're satisfied with what one is or has. It never comes from possessions or material or external things. Something that I learned very early on was if you're not content with what you have, you'll never be content with what you want. If you're not content where you are today, you probably will never be content with what you want. It happens all the times, it seems to me, with singles. Once a person kind of says, well, I don't know if God's ever going to bring somebody in my life or whatever, you know, they're kind of kind of rested where uh, God is, and then next thing you know, bam, somebody's coming to his or her life, and they're, you know, God has, has brought it there. So, and you've got to understand that in Exodus 4.11, God's providence assigns our situation in life, our talents, our gifts, 
our background, God does that. God assigns this. You go to Exodus 4.11 where he says, who, who made the blind man blind and who made uh, the people walk? It's God who does this. And so God has given us each stations in life, talents, gifts, things that uh, we need to be grateful for. So contentment is huge. But what about godliness? What about godliness? How would you describe godliness? Well, I think Paul does a better job himself of describing godliness in Titus 2. Listen to what he says here in Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Look at what he says there. A godly man, a godly woman, a godly young person is to denounce ungodliness and worldly desires, He's to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. He's to wait and look for a blessed hope. He's to recognize that everything comes from God. The result is he, God will purify us and will stand in his presence, complete, perfect, and zealous about his kingdom. I think that's a great definition of godliness that we're doing those things. And it's godliness with contentment, he says. He said that Christianity is not pleading for poverty because he's giving instruction about riches. It's, that's not it at all. But it does help us to remember it's never in things that bring happiness. It's never in things. It is in relationships. I'm probably the oldest person in this room. And uh, when you look back over your life, it's not the things you own. It's not the accomplishments you've achieved. It's your friends. It's those people that love you. And the number one relationship is who? A relationship with God. That's the relationship. We want to build relationships. What a wonderful thing just to meet many of you in our little time uh, that we were greeted one another. And also, godliness with contentment instructs us to place our value or our concentration in things that will never last, that, that will place our value in things that will last that of eternal value. Think about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 where God says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. I mean, do, treasures on earth, I'm messing up. But treasures in heaven where moth or rock or rust or nothing can steal it. That's where our treasures are in heaven. We're building those relationships, not in things on earth. Reverend Barker, who was the founding pastor of Browood, uh, used this illustration. He said there's a, a lady that went up into heaven, and uh, Gabriel was showing 
her around and went by a mansion and said, well, who is this? And she said, well, that, that, that's your mailman. She said, man, that's a beautiful mansion. And went by uh, another uh, place and she said, well, who's this? And that said, that's your hairdresser that, uh, that's uh, in heaven. And then went by a place that was really a, a very humble, uh, like a lean-to in heaven. And she said, uh, who's that? And he said, well, I'm sorry, but that's yours. She said, that's mine. He said, well, we did as best we could with what you sent up here. You know, it's the, you know, she hadn't placed her treasure in heaven. And when you think about the eternal things, this is what God wants us to concentrate on. So contentment where we are, being godly, pursuing godliness, and uh, godliness with contentment. Well, what about the main part of our passage here? What about the desire or the pursuit of riches? What does he say here in 1 Timothy? He says it's a snare. He says it's a temptation. I'm warning you. He said, but those who desire to be rich fall in temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. He's given us a warning here when he talks about money. It's, it's not money itself. Money is neutral. It's not good or bad. What he's saying here is the pursuit of riches, the desire to be rich, the desire to be somebody. And you are somebody in the Lord. You're a unique person. Martin Luther said you need three conversions. You need conversion of the heart, conversion of the mind, and conversion of the purse. He said you need those three. Well, what are some pitfalls that come out of this passage as far as money? And then we're going to look at converse. What are some good things in terms of money? Y'all with me out there? Okay. Well, the desire for money can be an insatiable thirst. If you've ever been on a boat in the ocean, you know you can't drink that water. It's got salt in it, and it doesn't quench your thirst. It just continues to make you more thirsty. And the desire for wealth for many, many people becomes an insatiable appetite that they're trying to get. Secondly, it is founded on an illusion. I'm actually reading a book called The Gift of Disillusionment. He says it's a gift because we, we recognize that it is an illusion, that, and so if we see it as a disillusion, it's really a gift to help us to come back to reality. But first, you, it's founded on the fact that I want to be secure. I just want to be secure. I just want to feel like I've got the things I need. As a, as a husband and father, I want to provide for my family. I want the best for my family. So that desire for security is how it starts off. But then it becomes a desire for comfort, a desire for luxury, and it just continues to to build up from there, it cannot 
buy love. It cannot buy help. It cannot buy friendship. The things that we value most, money can't do. And so it's an illusion. Andrew Carnegie, you may not know that name, but Carnegie Steele, he was an industrialist, Scottish-American, born in 1835, um, and died in the early 20th century, 1919, 1913. He started out working for a dollar and 20 cents a week. A dollar and 20 cents a week that he started his career. He ended up being worth $309 billion. That's billion with a B. If you took Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett and um, Bill Gates, three of the richest men in the world, and combined their incomes, their net worth, they wouldn't equal what Andrew Carnegie had in the early 20th century. In fact, when he sold his company to J.P. Morgan, it was 2% of the gross national product of the United States. That's how rich he was. And he, don't know where he was spiritually, that I haven't been able to find out where he was spiritually. He wrote a book called The Gospel of Wealth. You know what he said in there? He said, if a rich man dies rich, he's disgraced. He said, I would rather put a curse on my sons than to have them die rich, than have them rich. And he said, there are three things you can do with riches. You can spend it all. You can leave it to your, as an inheritance, which always is a disaster. Or you can give it away. And that's what he chose to do. He built libraries all over this country with his wealth. He went back to his hometown in Scotland and built a library there and many of the buildings in his hometown. He recognized that money does not solve your problems. Just think about that. We take all of our combined income, we would come close. Hundreds of thousands of what he had. And that's what he said. It's an insatiable thirst. It's an illusion. It tends to make us selfish. When you start accumulating wealth, when do you have enough? Just a little bit more. And you become more and more selfish and you become more and more, it's about you and more about, about your security, your comfort, your influence. It also leads itself, and this is a very interesting point, to more anxiety and worry. Why? Why would it lead to more anxiety and, and worry? Because the more you have, the more you're afraid to lose it. Anxiety and worry. And then it leads to wrong ways to get money. You begin to step over people. You begin to do whatever it takes to make that money. We had a speaker come in, Bill Owen, 
who was one of the CFOs of HealthSouth. He was actually the guy that wore the wire in that got Richard Strusey convicted. Of course, they didn't convict him on uh, that, but they got him on another situation rather than fraud. But he served 42 months in prison, and he just talked about how easy, once you made that first step, once he tried to alter the books, he thought for one quarter, he was a Sunday school teacher, he went to a Baptist church, he was a leader in their congregation, but he made that one step that he thought was only going to be for a quarter and then we'd catch up. But once he made that step, he never could get out of it. He never could do it. Think about the things that we despise the most, that we just, sex trafficking. Why do they do it? For money. Pornography. Why do they do it? For money. Prostitution. People are trying to, many women sell themselves because that's the only way they can get money. It's just a slippery slope. Selfish, insatiable thirst, lends itself to worry and anxiety. It leads to the wrong things. But money, as I said, is neutral. What are some good things you can do from, with money? I think the first thing we can do is recognize that money is all from God. Every, our status in life is all from God. He is the provider. There was a guy that was a self-made man. He said he, he got to the top of his industry. He was the president. He said, I made it. I did it myself. I don't owe anybody anything. And a wise, wise person came to his office and he said, hmm, is that true? He said, yeah. He said, who changed your diaper? Who got you to school? Who made your lunch? Who cleans your office and your restroom? And after this litany of things, he realized, I'm not a self-made man at all. People have helped me all along the way. God is the provider. He gives all things. Secondly, recognize if God's the provider, what are we? We're stewards. God owns it all. I really don't know anything. He just took tithes and offerings. If I'm a steward, it's not how much do I give God, but it's how much do I keep for myself. He owns it all. When uh, I've been raising support all my life, when I was 22, my wife the same, came on staff with Campus Crusade, now Crew, which is a college ministry all across the United States. And one of the things you had to do was raise your support. For the $343 a month I got, there was Campus Crusade. So I've been raising dollars. I've been raising money, and I've raised money for where I am today to do what I do. When you are on the receiving end, which we have been so much from other people, you really want to give back because it truly is more blessed to give than receive. It truly is God owns it all, and we want to recognize the joy of giving. It is so amazing when you can give 
to meet a need or to help someone else or to be a part of their journey. How many times have you gone to visit somebody in the hospital or somebody in need and you thought you were going to minister to them and you walk out and say, man, that was wonderful. This person ministered to me. This person's joy. You felt like you were giving to them and they gave to you. Fourthly, a way to use money, it helps us deny ourselves and help others. And then lastly, we can use it and invest it with the power of God versus our knowledge and power. Think about the little boy with the five loaves and two fishes. I would love to have that conversation with his parents when he got home. How was your lunch? You wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe what happened. This man named Jesus brought, brought it to him, and then we fed 5,000 plus with it. I don't know how, but Jesus used it that way. How many times has Jesus taken our five loaves, our two fish, and multiplied it? I'd much rather see how God multiplies it than in my wisdom and power, I would try to multiply it. And if you're acquainted with our economy today, it ain't good. And so I, I'm going to lean on God to do it as he's done it. So let God shoulder the responsibility. Money can be used in a great way. It can be a friend or it can be a foe. I, um, a lot of you are young in here and young, young kids. I, grew, I, made, I majored in accounting. God called me in ministry, but I still use accounting. But if you put a pencil to having a child, you would never have one. It never works out. If you list the expenses, don't, don't even think about college. Don't even think about a wedding. If you just put how you can have a child and raise him, monetarily, it, it, it just doesn't balance out on the balance sheet. But somehow, God enables us to do it. God enables us to have a wonderful situation there. Well, i got to move on. Pursuing God, I'm just going to say two or three things on that. What is, the, what is the righteous man? First of all, Paul moves from the beginning of this book calling Timothy a child of God to in chapter 4 he says, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. To chapter 6, he says, you're a man of God. What does that tell me? Timothy is progressing. He's progressing in the Christian life from a child to a youth to a man of God. Secondly, he says we're in a battle. You know this, but we've got to be on our guard. I didn't, I didn't serve in the Vietnam War, but I had many friends that did. And they told me the hardest thing of serving in Vietnam is you didn't know, you got kind of comfortable because the enemy would wait for a while until you weren't expecting it, that guerrilla warfare. And then all of a sudden they would attack. And if you weren't on your guard, a lot of lives were lost. We're in a battle. And thirdly, God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You look at 2 Peter 1. He says he's already given us look at this list and I say, how can I do this? How can I be gentle and faithful and fight the good fight? 
He's given me that, and he's given me the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me to do it. So that is very, very important. Well, the last thing, instructions for the rich. He gives, he gives things for those that are rich. First of all, don't be proud. Don't be haughty. I read this quote, nothing in the world gives any man the right to look down on any man, least of all the possession of wealth. No one has the right to look down on someone else. Secondly, set your hope on the things above. We've already talked about that. Where, the tr where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Set it in heaven. Recognize God is the provider. We've talked about that already as well. And then he says, do good, be generous, and be ready to share. What I think he's saying in this passage is we ought to be looking for opportunities to bless others. Looking for opportunities. Looking for needs that maybe we can meet. It's just God has given us different gifts, different talents, whether it be foster child, uh, you know, taking foster children, whether it's whatever God has laid on our heart we need to do. So we've talked about godliness and contentment, the pursuit of riches, pitfalls to avoid, things that are wise in terms of money, what a righteous man or woman, young person should pursue, and instructions for those who are rich. What are some applications? I think the first one is key. Have a grateful heart. Have a grateful heart. If you have a grateful heart, pretty much everything falls into place. You recognize those things. Invest in eternity. Remember, your mansion's getting built. <laughs> recognize the, uh, the allure of money. It doesn't satisfy. Pursue godliness. And then I want you to repeat after me, seriously. God will never leave us or forsake us. Let's say it again. God will never leave us or forsake us. Or forsake us. You know what's preceding that verse? The first part of that verse? Let your life be free from the love of money. For God will never leave us nor forsake us. Let me give you two illustrations. When Ann and I were on staff of Campus Crusade, we were at Florida State for a number of years. And there was a guy that made a lot of money in real estate. Good friend of mine, Jerry Lunkford. I had a chance to help preach his funeral. They asked us to be the guardian of their two boys. And uh, in his, he was a true entrepreneur. And he made all this money. And then he lost it all. He lost every penny. And I asked him, we were having breakfast one day, and I said, Jerry, what, what can you tell me? He said, money anesthetizes every problem. Some of the problems within his family, they didn't recognize because of the money. Because of the money. This past week, I preached the funeral of a guy that just God had blessed with incredible wealth. He used it amazingly. He gave millions and millions of dollars to missions. Millions and millions of dollars to missions. He gave a significant gift to this place. Actually, to that place. 
for the fellowship meeting. But from his lips and his wife's lips, they've left a lot to their children. Remember what Andrew Carter used to say? And a lot of their grandchildren are not walking with the Lord. In fact, I know one of the sons pretty well. And neither one of his children have much to do with God apart from him. What he would give, what he would give to have his children love the Lord and love his family. What he would give. And so as we think about a grateful heart, recognize how riches can just mess us up. How many of the Ten Commandments is breaks? Just look at that. Recognize it's all from God. And let's invest in what God can do in our lives in eternity. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We serve you. We worship you. Lord, thank you for the blessings you've given us. Thank you as we approach this table. What a blessing of forgiveness and joy and hope and peace and forgiveness. So, Lord, help us to be wise. Guide our lives. May your spirit help us to pursue godliness. Be content and let you multiply our Pablos and Petruses to your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name.